0: Marissa Lee here, and I'm so excited to be sharing today's interview round episode with you. In these episodes, our brilliant lineup of guests will include healthcare practitioners, voice educators, and other professionals who will share their stories, knowledge, and experiences within their specialized fields to empower you to live your best life. Whether you're a member of the voice community or beyond, your voice is your unique gift. It's time now to share your gift with others, develop a positive mindset and become the best and most authentic version of yourself to create greater impact. Ultimately, you can take charge. It's time for you to live your best life It's time now for A Voice and Beyond. So, without further ado, let's go to today's episode. Wow, if this episode doesn't convince you to start taking a preventative approach to your health, well, I don't know what will. According to our guest this week on A Voice and Beyond, Dr. Michael Young, Our healthcare systems are being dictated and controlled by multinational corporate structures such as pharmaceutical companies and insurance firms and, as a result, we as the general public are facing medical vulnerability. These corporate structures decide the cost as well as the how, when and where we access healthcare. Dr. Young is a fourth generation physician who was certified by the American Board of Urology. Upon completing his training, Dr. Young went into private practice. However, 10 years ago, he became very frustrated and extremely disappointed with the medical and healthcare delivery system and wanted to become more involved with change, inventions, and innovation. Dr. Young now holds three faculty positions at the University of Illinois and has authored a series of fictional books which describe the frightening reality of what is currently occurring in our healthcare systems. He explains these books are the byproduct of his frustrations and experiences as a practicing physician, and his mission through these books is to inspire dialogue between healthcare providers and patients. To be honest, this was a jaw-dropping conversation with Dr. Young, and it was shocking for me to hear that medical care and the cost of medicine are the leading causes of bankruptcy in the US. You would think that prevention would be at the top of the list for the healthcare industry. However, according to Dr Young, the pharmaceutical companies are essentially drug dealers in suits. The healthcare industry is far more interested in selling a disease rather than trying to sell prevention or a cure. Dr. Michael Young certainly blows the whistle on the healthcare system, and what you will learn will certainly shock you, as it did me. So, without further ado, let's go to today's episode. Welcome to A Voice and Beyond. I'm so thrilled to have Dr. Michael Young joining us here today. How are you?
1: I'm wonderful. Thank you.
0: It's such a pleasure. Uh, Dr. Young, now you are a professor by day, a medical instrument inventor by evening and by night. You are a brilliant author. I love that. It's like you're the triple threat.
1: I think uh, they're not necessarily exclusive, <laughs> and I don't know if they all work in that order, but I do have multiple hats I put on at different times of the day, yes.
0: Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to just give a little bit of a background check here of you and your story. So you have a degree in biology from Indiana University. You then matriculated to Rush Medical College for your medical degree and subsequently went to Loyola University Medical Center to complete your residency in urology. So you've been certified by the American Board of Urology and you then went into private practice upon completing that training and you've been on faculty at the University of Illinois. In amongst all that too, you've authored a series of books, which are so fascinating. And that's what we're here to actually talk about is your books. But tell us a little bit about your career journey.
1: Well, I am the fourth generation of physicians in my family. Goes back a long way. And that was my inspiration. That was my motivation to go into medicine was that I wanted to be part of the family tradition. I wanted to understand what was being spoken at the dinner table.
0: (laughs) Fair enough.
1: And so with that, I had entered medical school. I had wanted to be a surgeon and elected for urological surgery as my specialty. And I practiced for nearly 30 years in the Chicago area, Chicago and the northern suburbs. And I loved it. I enjoyed the patients. I loved the surgery but about a decade or so ago i became very disenfranchised very disappointed with the healthcare delivery system mm-hmm. regionally and nationally i became very frustrated and i felt i could do other things with my background with my experience and i wanted to teach and i wanted to get engaged in innovation in changes and perhaps inventions with uh, needed tools and surgery that I witnessed. And so six years ago, I decided to step out of clinical practice, Mm -hmm. and I was afforded the opportunity to join the faculty at the University of Illinois in Chicago, where I currently have three faculty positions. I am in the Department of Urology, where I am the director of our innovation section, I am a faculty member in the Department of Biomedical Engineering, where I teach a course to medical students and engineering students in medical technology innovation. And then I function as a medical advisor at the Innovation Center at the university, which is a rather unique environment where we collaboratively design, develop medical instruments and surgical devices. So the writing was really an offshoot of my frustration and experiences in practice that i wanted to put in paper Mm -hmm. i wanted patients and providers to see what they were each experiencing many times providers would complain patients obviously have multiple complaints about the system but i wanted Mm -hmm. to write a book that they could both read about each other and learn hopefully facilitate a dialogue, rather than one of just frustration. And so I wrote the book, The Illness of Medicine, Yes, about those experiences. And then as a consequence of that, I decided to begin some fictional writing as I had worked on a, a new instrument that eventually got pushed on the back burner. And I said, well, wait a minute, this isn't. So I decided, let's write a book about the material. And rather than just bury the idea, I brought it to life by putting it in a novel entitled Consequence of Murder. Oh my gosh. So, The Consequence of Murder started me, started the ball rolling as I was trying to, in a way, fictionalize some of my disappointments with the healthcare industry that I experienced. In real time and had written about in a nonfiction book, The Illness of Medicine. I wanted to fictionalize those stories. I wanted to bring them to life sort of in a in a way that could drive home the same point, but from a different angle.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: So following Consequence or Murder, I wrote The Net of Deception and recently published To Cure or Kill. These three books. I like to consider as a trilogy, I consider that Mm -hmm. they are all interrelated, but it took me three books to try to work through these problems that I witnessed in practice, just both in my own practice and observing how healthcare is evolving at home in the United States and hoping that this is another means by which to convey some of these opinions.
0: Wow. That's an incredible story. Let's start with that first book, The Illness of Medicine. I know this one is nonfiction. So obviously it relates to things that you've seen, flaws that you've seen in the healthcare system. Yes. It must have really been serious for you to want to go and write a book about it. You must have been pretty angry at the time. So what was some of the, or frustrated, let's use the word frustrated. What were some of the things that you were seeing? What were those flaws that actually inspired you to go and write about them?
1: Well, what was occurring is that I, as a practitioner, and that which I witnessed in my colleagues was that physicians were losing control of their own domain. Healthcare was becoming Owned, operated, managed by a corporate structure. Okay. And the corporate structure to me was more engaged in the metrics of monetary gain as opposed to the humanity of what is medicine about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And many of my colleagues, primary care physicians who typically would spend a great deal of time talking to their patients, we're now put on the clock. Yes. You have 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minute slots. You have to deal with a patient who you've known for 20 years who may have multiple problems, but now you have to compress it into this meeting that is often now done on a computer
0: Mm-hmm.
1: where you, the practitioner, are facing the computer screen and not even looking in the eyes of the patient. Mm-hmm. You don't have the time. You don't have the latitude to say, how are things? how How is the family? No, you have to get right to the point, right to the problem. Yes. And your management has to be within a defined protocol that has been determined to be the most efficient, most cost-effective which, yes, it may work, but perhaps there's other ways to go about the same resolution of the problem. But because your practice is managed by this corporate structure, it is dictating how, when, and where you do things.
0: So when you talk about the corporate structure, and I do acknowledge too that we have the same issues here in Australia, when I book a medical appointment online I have to specify how many issues I'm going to be discussing in that appointment. If it's one or two, you are allocated 15 minutes with your doctor. If it's any more than that, then you pay more and you're given more time. So that is that is done through the booking system. And that's only something that's come into play perhaps in the last well I would say since Covid
1: Yeah, and I don't know how that can work. Yeah, I don't know how that can work. You know, if I'm taking care of a 10-year-old, that 10-year-old is coming because perhaps they have an acute injury or one problem. If I'm taking care of an 80-year-old, many of these patients are on on half a dozen, if not more, medications. Mm -hmm. Each of those medications is for a particular problem. Many of these problems are interrelated. How can I possibly... Uh, understand the comprehensive problem the patient is experiencing without delving at least for uh, at least superficially into all of these things and trying yes. to pull them together because nothing occurs in health in a vacuum. Everything is related, everything is attached. Mm. And then you also have to deal with well, what about emotionally? What about financially? What about the family? All of these things are related. 100%. You can't just prescribe a pill and suddenly things are better. Uh, maybe that patient needs physical therapy. That means time away from work. That means X, Y, and Z. You can't compress this into a 15 minute appointment.
0: Yes, I agree. I agree.
1: So I became, to answer your question though, yes, Marissa, I yes. became very frustrated with the organization and the management of how healthcare was to be delivered. And so, the illness of medicine was my description, both both by commentary and anecdotal experiences mm-hmm. uh, about that situation.
0: But who is making? Who is the corporation? Because you've ah. said the corporation is that government? Is it the pharmaceuticals? Is who is that structure? What is that structure?
1: Well, I think it's all the above and none of the above. When you think about it. In healthcare, who is controlling the management is really who is controlling the payment, the money. And to that, I would say the insurance industry Ah. is most uh, responsible for a lot of what occurs, how long you can stay in the hospital, how long you can be there.
0: I never considered that. Sorry to interrupt, but no, I never considered the insurance companies That's so obvious. I mean, that's because, yes, I mean, I have private health care and it costs an absolute fortune. I'm paying $500 a month for my husband and I for some hospital cover and for all the other auxiliaries like, you know, optical, dental, whatever it is.
1: Of course. But that's relatively inexpensive compared to the United States. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yes. Yes. And so if the insurance company is dictating who you can see and where you mm-hmm. can be seen mm-hmm. and the protocol for how you're seen, they really have a, a control over the healthcare dollars. If we then look at the pharmaceutical industry who up until recently, up until I believe a week ago, they could charge Medicare what they wished for drug prices. They could not be negotiated. I believe it was just a week ago that it was introduced that I believe 10 drugs now will have their price controlled, but that never occurred before, and that will continue hopefully. But so the pharmaceutical industry sort of had the opportunity to charge what they chose
0: mm-hmm. the device industry mm-hmm.
1: there are patients for instance there's a uh, a case of a of a person who needed a, re- a knee replacement in california by the same doctor using the same device same knee replacement at two different hospitals the price varied by 20
0: Was one a public hospital and the other one a private hospital?
1: No, it had to do with the negotiation with the insurance company that was paying for the procedure and the device. So you had asked me who is controlling things. Wow. Yes, it is these entities. But you have to understand it is also the relationship that a particular hospital network has established with a particular insurer.
0: I get that. Yes. So
1: I can be sick and need to go to a hospital that is two minutes away. But because of my insurance relationship with my physician or my healthcare plan, I may have to go to the hospital an hour away. mm. Mm-hmm. One is closer, more convenient, but this is the one that our plan has negotiated a relationship with. So, again, it's pointing out to your question, who is in control? Who is the corporate structure? It's becoming very difficult to identify all the players because the hospital is in, in a negotiation with the insurance company, which is in a negotiation with all the ancillary cares, whether it's physical therapy, what have you who manages all of those things. It's a, it's a, a, it's a a Venn diagram. Yes. Complicated issues. And unfortunately you, myself, we're all patients Mm -hmm. and we're all paying for it. We're the, we're the commodity. Mm -hmm. So it's a difficult question to answer in two minutes or less.
0: Yes. Yes. No, that, that's so interesting. And all I want to say to Prevention is way better than cure. I mean, if that's not, a, if that doesn't inspire people to take better care of themselves, right now, when our medical and healthcare system is in such a mess, I don't know what will.
1: But we don't have that. But unfortunately, we don't have that in America. Prevention is not on the top list. For instance, I feel that we are much more interested in trying to sell disease than we are trying to sell a cure. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, there's money. There's money in disease. There's no money in a cure.
1: There's no money in the prevention.
0: In the prevention. Oh, yeah. Yes. Sorry. Yes.
1: We, We see television ads left and right for that magical pill. Oh. And these pills tell you, you know, what you need and why you need it. They don't tell you if you need it. So we're selling the pill, but we're not selling exercise. We're not selling better sleep, better lifestyle. We're selling a product. So yes, infuriating.
0: I've seen that in the States because I do visit the States regularly and I I'm, I'm never see, cease to be amazed with the number of drug ads on there. And I mean they're really long and descriptive ads. Like these ads, they feel like they go on for five minutes each. And they talk about, you know, these miracle cures for all these types of 21st century diseases, which essentially lifestyle can fix or prevent. Yes. And then but I love the disclaimers at the end. Don't take this blah, 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 for all these reasons. And literally it lists like a million reasons why not to take the drug at the end as the disclaimer. Right. And you think, you know what, I'm better off not taking it.
1: But what happens is the patients get a pseudo education of the problem. And so now they come to me, the provider, and they're expecting this particular drug because they heard it advertised that this will cure everything. And it's a miracle and they get very frustrated. So it, it, it causes the physician to almost become defensive while they're not prescribing that drug. Mm. Patients are demanding it based on what they heard. They don't really, they don't understand the problem completely. They only know the advertisement they've been told. So right there, you've created a chism between the patient and the provider. I want this drug. You're not giving it to me. Yes. And it goes on and on and on. And patients will go to the internet and get information. Oftentimes, they will understand the words, but not the meaning. The meaning takes years to understand sometimes the nuances of disease. You can't just go on and read about a particular condition for 10, 15, 20 minutes, an hour, and think you have it. Like Dr. Google. (laughs) Well, (laughs) any doctor who who gives you this 10-minute blurb it's much more complicated. Now, I'm not saying everything mandates, uh, you know, a 30 year experience in managing, but uh, patients come in armed with ideas. They come armed with concern. And I don't wish to negate their due process that they've done, but they have to also understand the physician is trying to understand all of the options, not just the one that they've been told about.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: So that too became a premise for the second book, Net of Deception. Yes. About the drugs and how they're sold.
0: I I love the story with <laughs> with this one here. So with Net of Deception, it follows the lives of three affluent men. So tell us about that story that Give us the backstory story about net of de- deception, because it is absolutely fascinating. And well, I think this, there's parts of this that we can all relate to.
1: Well, net of deception follows exactly what we were just discussing, in that uh, a patient is seeing and hearing things advertised, both on television and on the internet, about sildenafel or the generic form of viagra mm-hmm. and men who have a strong need for help will climb any mountain yes to get that help mm-hmm. and so the premise of the story was that a company is taking advantage of this this need uh, that these men have and within the company is a nefarious character who uses their private health information, uh, for blackmail. Okay. And so it's trying to articulate the malfeasance that can occur with our most precious commodity ourselves, our health, Mm -hmm. that which we really shouldn't be relinquishing so easily online, but people will if it means they will get that prescription. Mm -hmm. And I do take a bit of um, not anger, but frustration with many of these companies that I do see advertising on television for drugs like this. I have no problem with a patient going to a physician, getting properly evaluated Yes. and then going and getting if you want to get it through a european or a canadian or mexican pharmacy because it's less expensive fine but the evaluation shouldn't be so so uh checkbox and incomplete because some of these companies and the one particularly that i wrote about in the book is one where the physician is part of the company so he or she will approve of it for everybody
0: right Okay. Driven by money and greed. Driven
1: by money, of course. And so the predicate of the book is really medical vulnerabilities, but the consequence of that is the overwhelming greed and entitlement uh, that the owners of these companies um, try to exert on patients.
0: Yes. Yes. So the the person who is being blackmailed is a politician.
1: One of them, yes.
0: One of them, okay. So how likely is this that it can happen in real life when you talk about this cybercrime? So basically they're being blackmailed. Is this truly possible in real
1: life? I, I think I like to think that all three of those books Consequence of Murder, Net of Deception, and To Cure or Kill are fictionalized reality. None of them, I believe, are so out there that they can't happen. I think they all can. Um, To Cure, pardon me, uh, Consequence of Murder was about uh, a whistleblower within a company that is trying to illegally promote opioids that did happen okay right the opioid epidemic did not just occur in a vacuum it occurred because of very greedy companies we see what just occurred to uh, a number of pharmaceutical uh ceos and uh, companies for their malfeasance and behavior in trying to promote their drugs. Mm-hmm. And so this book was about that, and a whistleblower is uh, has been isolated by that company and they wish to eliminate him. I'm sure that has in some way or form occurred.
0: Well, to it cure- sounds like a drug deal to me, like a just another drug deal where someone's there's always someone that's going to get killed. <laughs>
1: Well, I think if you want to look at the pharmaceutical industry, yes. And I don't mean to sound uh, too extreme, but are these drug dealers in suits? What is happening in that pharmaceutical industry? They have, I, I support the industry for what we need. We need them to come up with our vaccines, our drugs, our, our health. I have no problem with that, but it's the profiteering that has gone to an extreme that these companies are making so much money and patients who can ill afford these drugs uh, are are the consequence and we for instance we do know that you know medical care medical costs are the leading cause of bankruptcy in the united states
0: really i didn't know that
1: yes medical conditions leading to default leading to such extreme bills and inability to pay is a leading cause of bank, personal bankruptcy.
0: Wow. I, honestly, that that is incredible. I did not know that. How can that be allowed to happen? Isn't that part of our, you know, we're a first world country. The U.S. is a first world country. Uh, shouldn't we have access to, to our most basic needs, and that is our health care?
1: I hate to burst your bubble.
0: Okay, burst it. You already have.
1: (laughs) But I would argue that United States healthcare is actually quite poor. I believe we are 30th in the world in longevity. 30th for all of our money.
0: Who's first?
1: I believe Japan. Okay. I believe. I may be wrong.
0: I wouldn't be surprised.
1: But we are 30th in longevity. We are first in obesity. If you look at infant mortality, we are way down on on the list of where we ought to be. It's shameful. And part of that reason is not the technology, but our healthcare system does not have the social safety net. We define infant mortality as up to a year post birth. And many patients, as you noted, are on uh, on uh, Medicaid or some form of support, but it doesn't have enough to carry them through. Yeah. So it is shameful when you look at the healthcare outcomes in America. So, yes, we have the greatest technology, there is no question, and the innovation and the capability, but the implementation and how healthcare is delivered and our financial structure around healthcare, care, which is a whole nother can of worms, yes, is an atrocity. It's the costliest yeah. health care in the world and it is by far uh, one of the worst.
0: What's the point of having all that technology if people don't have access to it? Is it a bragging? Do they have bragging rights? Is that what it is? Well, look what we have, but then no one can afford it.
1: I think they're separate problems. We have the institutions to do the research. We have the innovative capability, but when it comes to accessing healthcare, the costs of healthcare, hmm. uh, we have a serious problem, and the financial structure around healthcare is also uh, just a mess. Yes. So, so those problems that we just spent time talking about became the foundation for the novels. The novels are fiction, but they're really not. They are predicated on our medical vulnerabilities.
0: Yes. So what is the message that you're wanting to share? Because you've just completed your fourth book, but the third in the trilogy, To Cure and to Kill. So what is the message in that book? What's the story in that one?
1: Well, to cure or kill has to do with the pharmaceutical industry directly, where one company is trying to advance itself by taking advantage of another company's research. And one has to believe that there is inter-pharmaceutical espionage going on. That's not a mystery. And you
0: can't blame the Russians for that one.
1: No, we can blame ourselves. We can blame. But that is, again, that is greed, again, in with a capital G. So I really, none of these books by themselves, well, they all stand alone. But I'm hopeful that if a reader has completed all three, uh, they may walk away very upset, very angry, although the books all in entail a fair amount of of, of medical discussion and background, they all entail some form of, of, of very, uh, bad activity, uh, with bad outcomes for people. Yes. But unfortunately, I think that's what needs to be done to shake it up and let people say, Whoa, this can happen. Maybe this is happening. Yes. You know, cause I think our healthcare, is something we we can't control. We have lost that control. Hmm. You know, when you have a healthcare problem, you're vulnerable. Hmm. You're frightened, you're scared. Your whole world is is on pins and needles until that gets resolved. Your family, your job, everything is predicated on your health. So I can't think of a scarier scenario. Than being a patient in an environment that is inherently dangerous.
0: What is your objective here? Is it to raise awareness and to educate people around all of this? And if so, how does that? How is that going to help people?
1: I have tried. I, I when I wrote "Illness of Medicine," I did an awful lot of radio, as I was interviewed about it. Yes. And I wrote that book in 2018. And here we are five years later and we're no better and in some ways worse. So that didn't do anything. So I decided I'd write about it in a manner that perhaps makes people excited or frightens them more by putting it in this fictionalized world maybe that will allow an increased awareness or discussion about what could happen. Mm -hmm. I hope, but that is my point. That was my whole point was to raise awareness um, to make it a thrilling story, but you know, behind every thrilling story, maybe there's some truth.
0: Mm. But what can people do about it? Okay. So they have the awareness that this is now happening in the healthcare system. Do they have the power to do anything?
1: Individually, probably not. But as a group, we're very strong. We can decide which companies we wish to invest in, which companies we choose to support. Um, There are companies that are people pick it and say, don't buy their products, don't use their products. We can choose politically. Who do we elect? Yes. We can do that. Have we? Not always. But we can mm-hmm. we can decide within our companies we work with which health care plans are we going to accept as a group or not. We do have power, but our voices by ourselves are very, is very weak. But I think collectively we can make change. But you first have to be aware of the problem and you secondly have to come together to implement change.
0: Yes, and that's really difficult because when you think of the the money that these corporations and institutions have behind them, that is yes. a really big fight.
1: It's a huge fight, but we can't quit mm. because what's at stake is you going to the doctor and not being able to voice your concerns appropriately. You having someone who is managed in a manner that is perhaps not the best. It's acceptable. No one could fault it, but boy, there sure are better ways.
0: Mm.
1: And it all comes down to who's controlling, uh, you know, the golden rule. He who owns the gold makes the rules.
0: Yes. Yes. Right
1: now, the insurance industry holds all the the, the marbles.
0: Mm. I've talked about this situation that I was confronted with and how education can make a difference and that was recently well, when I say recently around March this year I was diagnosed with COPD but it was as a result of me telling my doctor that I would not be medicated for high cholesterol and so I I asked and it was only because I knew about this particular test. It was a coronary risk assessment that I went and had this test and I was told immediately, oh, but you have to pay for it. And I said, well, how much is it? $200. I said, well, I'll go and have the test because it's going to cost me way more than that in drugs in <laughs> over the next however many years. And I don't want to be medicated for cholesterol because it's only going to lead to other medications in the Mm -hmm. future. So I went and had this risk evaluation and it came back that I had zero risk of having any coronary problems. So I didn't need to be medicated, but the the first thing the doctor said when they saw the the reading of my cholesterol was, oh, no, you need to be medicated. But then having that test, that's where they diagnose the COPD. So I could have gone through life not having any awareness that I had this. I thought I had long COVID. However, that education around things that I could do to manage the COPD have had a significant impact on managing some of those symptoms. And not only that, but I'm now not medicated for high cholesterol.
1: Right. And but but how many people would be willing to pay two hundred dollars? We know, for instance, in the United States that forty-five percent of Americans could not afford a five hundred dollar emergency medical bill. Mm. They're not going to spend the two hundred as a preventative evaluation. Mm. So many people are living you know, on the edge with yes. And and so the idea of of an individual having to pay for the preventative health care to me is is really an atrocity. That should be something that the government needs to be taking care of because downstream it will cost less preventatively than it will when that patient shows up in ER. You look at the number of diabetics, they can't afford to go to the physician on a quarterly basis. So then they end up in the emergency room in ketoacidosis, they have to be hospitalized for several days. We're paying for that. Mm. But if they were able to go to the physician regularly, have those monitors done appropriately, whatever the testing is, whatever the disease is, yes. We stay out of that 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 bottomless pit of financial. Expense that is killing our economy.
0: Mm. I know that everything that you're talking about and everything that you've written about, I can hear it in your voice. You're very passionate about it. And I think you're doing an incredible job writing these books and speaking up. But how has that been received? By people within the corporation, within the institutions. Have you, has anyone tried to silence you?
1: No, I don't think I'm a big enough fish, not okay. yet. Perhaps. That doesn't mean it won't happen. Mm. Right now, I'm ignored and mm. I, I can't change that. I mean, um, I hope people will read what I've written, I hope people will listen to what I'm trying to say. I I'm not trying to be the the voice of anger. I'm trying to be the voice of reason and yes, and judgment about how do we go about managing these problems?
0: Mm-hmm. Um but no,
1: I have not had any um any problems from any industry going after me.
0: Are they aware that you're promoting some of this information or spreading the word?
1: I don't know. I'm just one person.
0: You're like that pesty bug that's in the room. Maybe. That people just go shoo and pretend it's not there.
1: Well, I would say this. Perhaps it's being hopeful. But if Hollywood or the film industry, television industry, were to pick up these books, perhaps that might be the platform that they realize not only is there good selling here, which is what they are trying, yes. But there's a good story here, and there's a message here, yes. So maybe that's what it will take. It will take some a, a step up in terms of exposure through some visual content, mm. and I, I think I've, I've put together some very interesting books, and it would be marvelous if they could be picked up in that manner. Yes. I don't think it would change my life. I'll continue to write and teach and do what I'm doing. But certainly that message may be able to get out better.
0: Mm. It's incredible. Uh, Is there another book in the pipeline? There is. (laughs) And what's that one?
1: The book will, well, two books actually. The the next book of the medical predicate will be uh, my concerns about the DNA companies the companies that you can submit your DNA to and they will give you your heritage. Well, what if they could do a bit more? You are giving them a blueprint. I had identity theft a number of years ago. Someone got my credit card information and they used it fine. But when you give your DNA, you're giving, you're giving your blueprint. Yes. You're giving the real identity theft. Yes. And what if that information is used in a manner far beyond where we're even capable today, right? We want to talk about blackmailing a politician. What if the DNA shows more information Mm. than just that you're 20% French or Eastern European or whatever they tell you? So the book will be about, the DNA companies, and, again, it will be fictionalised, but I don't think it's a far stretch to imagine where this could go.
0: No. Well, we don't know how they're using the information, and I didn't realise that it was the Mormon church that is behind the Ancestry.com. That's the one. Yeah. and yeah. We don't know what other information they're gathering.
1: Well, let me just push it one step farther, Marissa.
0: Okay, you're going to scare me.
1: We don't know what technology lies five years from now mm. to use that mm. DNA.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yes.
1: We don't know where this is going. So that's what is on the horizon mm-hmm. for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Again, using medical vulnerability as the predicate for this story. Mm. We'll see.
0: So, in other words, if you have a medical problem, go and visit your doctor. Don't buy the drugs online, and don't give your blood to anybody.
1: <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if it's that simple or not, but be mindful of what you click on your computer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, be mindful of what you watch on television and hear, and understand that you are you are trying to be sold something. Of course. Whether or not you are, you need it is a different issue, but be wary, be careful.
0: Yes, yes. And these people have a lot of money when it comes to marketing. they have big budgets. So they're going to make those ads as attractive as possible. So in finishing up, yes. Dr. Young, do you have any other advice for our audience?
1: I, You know, I would like to think that common sense is common, but I'm realizing sometimes it isn't. I think people are, they're anxious for answers. They want quick solutions. And I hate to say that there aren't any. Yes. Things take time. You have to, you you can't take advice from a, a printed screenshot when you don't know who that screenshot is. Who really wrote it? You need to find people you trust, people you know. Those are the people to get information from. You want to supplement it, that's fine. But don't believe that what you're seeing on that monitor is the holy grail of information.
0: Yes, 100%.
1: You have to be very mindful. Your phones, there's phishing, there's people trying to steal information. It's it's a very dangerous world. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you have to shutter your doors and not go out, but you do have to open your eyes and ears and pay attention.
0: Mm -hmm. I love how I get really suspicious because the other night, let's just say I was talking about, I'm going to make this up, buying a pair of red shoes. And then the next thing I got all these emails and things on my social going, oh, here's some red shoes. You know, I just go, my phone is listening to me.
1: It's frightening, isn't it?
0: It is. It is scary how all of a sudden there was something random, like it wasn't red shoes, but it was something so random of course. that I was of course. talking about. Then all these ads started to appear on my phone yes. and all these emails. I'm going, why? But anyway, we're going to wrap this up. It's been an absolute pleasure spending time with you, Dr. Young. I appreciate you you being here on our show and I suggest to the listeners that they go and go to the show notes, get on those links and go and read your books. We're going to share the links to you, to your books in the show notes and I think it's fascinating what you're doing and good on you for for being the whistleblower. Well, thank you. <laughs> in a fiction manner.
1: Yes. Yeah. A fictionalised reality, I tend to call it.
0: Yes. Best of luck with everything and look forward to catching up sometime in the future. I'd like to hear how it's all going. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank, thank you wonderful. so much. Okay. Bye, Dr. Young.
1: Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A Voice and Beyond. I hope you enjoyed it as now is an important time for you to invest in your own self-care, personal growth and education. Use every day as an opportunity to learn and to grow so you can show up feeling empowered and ready to live your best life. If you know someone who will also be inspired by this episode, Please be sure to copy and paste the link and share it with them. Or share it on social media and use the hashtag A Voice and Beyond. I promise you I am committed to bringing you more inspiration and conversations just like this one every week. And if you would like to help me, please rate and review this podcast and cheer me on by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcast right now. I would also love to know what it is that you most enjoyed about this episode and what was your biggest takeaway. Please take care and I look forward to your company next time on the next episode of A Voice and Beyond.